Welcome to the Marotsko Method. I am your host, Adrian Jezik. It took most of my life to get sick and several years to make myself well again. I had to risk my life in order to save it. I was told by doctors that I was chronically ill and I needed medication in order to survive. The problem was that none of the medicines worked. So I took my healing into my own hands. Through my practice of deliberate cold exposure and adding more natural modalities along the way, I found my path out of traditional medicine and towards intuitive self-care. I am here to share my story and yours. I want the world to know what we are all capable of. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Morotsko Method podcast. I am your host, Adrian Jezik. I am excited because today I get to have a guest on my podcast, and I've already been a guest on his, so this feels like an honor for him to really enjoy that conversation so much that he's back for more. This is Steve White from the Brothers and Others podcast. That's just an N in the middle. It's not and, so Brothers and Others podcast. Steve, welcome. I'm excited you're here with me. Will you share a little bit about who you are and what you're all about? Sure. Thank you. I am honored to be here. It's uh, yeah, a privilege. It's weird to sit in the opposite side of the podcast chair. Where do I start? I would say I a mental health advocate, maybe. Men's mental health is, yeah, an important issue for me. I lost my best mate 13 years ago, and that kind of sent me on a bit of a spiral. Yeah, it wasn't until years later that I really started doing some work and looking into that sort of stuff, and a lot of childhood stuff came up. So, yeah, I, I guess I would describe myself as a mental health advocate as well as having a cleaning business on the side. (laughs) That makes sense. And our passion projects don't always get to fund themselves. So we need to start somewhere. And you are a mental health advocate. You have a podcast. Tell us about the Brothers and Others podcast, what your purpose and your mission is with that. So my brother and I got together early this year, or maybe the end of last year, just an idea around a podcast So we grew up without our father. My father left when I was two. My brothers had never met our father. So it came around the discussion of, we'd never spoken about that together either. Our father leaving. I've met him a few times, very superficial meetings. So we'd never really spoken about that together. So we were like, why don't we put it together in a podcast and document that? So yeah, it kind of came around that. He is now moving into holistic counseling. We've got similar goals, I suppose, around men's mental health, teen, young men in particular. So it sort of came around that. And we've had some guests on like yourself, just some topics we're really, we're really interested in fascinating people, people that have just got a story to tell because we've all got a story to tell basically. So it just, yeah, it came around that. I understand. And is it weird Now, what's it like now being able to have these conversations with your brother that you didn't have growing up? Do you think that came with like age and wisdom or was there a catalyst that spawned that conversation? Yeah, I definitely think it's come through growing up, having kids, life experience. The conversation sort of started, I did a podcast. I was actually a guest, the only other podcast I've been a guest on. A good mate of mine, Shane, has a podcast and I was a guest on that. When I was sort of starting some coaching work, I've kind of deviated from that now. But so I had a conversation on that podcast and a lot of stuff came up that my family had never known about, a lot of drug use and drinking and 
deep depression and all those sorts of things that I'd never spoken about really with my family. So the conversation sparked through that. And that's where, yeah, the idea of the podcast sort of came along, I suppose. It's been great having the guests we've had have been, yeah, a lot of really eye-opening chats. I love the connections I've made through that. It's funny. I often say to my partner, Amber, that if I was just to message these people randomly, say, hey, can I give you a call and just have a chat? They'd be like, weird. But, you know, if you contact them and say, hey, I've got a podcast, love to have you come on chat. They're like, tell your story. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Whenever. Yeah, when, let's do, do it and record. Let's have this awkward conversation with a stranger and record it. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's great. So the connections we've made and the things that we've spoken about and the people, and there's things that I've, we had a guest on recently. His name is Mark Fennell, and I'd always known him. There's a radio station over here, community radio station. I think they're community. Anyway, a radio station or government-funded radio station called Triple J, and they broadcast all around Australia. And I've always known this guy from there. He was called That Movie Guy. And now he's gone on to record heaps of amazing podcast TV shows, this TV show called The School That Tried to End Racism. We sat there and spoke about racism for a full hour plus, and it was just... Yeah, eye-opening stuff that I spoke about in the podcast that I've never said. You know, I've been that guy that's casual racism and all that sort of stuff. And so to be able to speak about those sorts of things and bring light to topics that are almost taboo, people are scared to talk about, has been, yeah, amazing. That's beautiful. That's beautiful that you went from this experience of not really talking at all or sharing at all to now you're sharing as part of your connection to your community and you sharing mm. your conversation and their conversation is what continues this conversation. You know, like it like perpetuates the deeper dive and these relationships kind of encourage you to continue on that path. Yeah, absolutely. One thing yeah, I was never a communicator growing up. I held everything in. And that's why I led to the point of having a breakdown a few years ago. But I, it's funny, I have a partner now, Amber, who is the most open and honest and sharing. And that was like, when you're someone who is not a sharer, and then you get together with someone who is the oversharer, it hits you between the eyes. It's like, you know, so I've really learned that you have to communicate mm -hmm. if you don't it just all bubbles up. And if you don't work through that stuff, it'll just keep coming back. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. And I read or I learned something recently that said, and it may have just been one of those random Instagram posts that's, if you really want to face your stuff, get into an intimate relationship. Once you're in an intimate relationship, there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. And my husband and I, Jason, are different like that too. He's an internal processor. I'm a verbal and external processor. And there are some times when I'll ask him a question and it can't be like, Hey, hi, how are you doing? Or how was your day? But I'll be like, Hey, what are you working on in your growth cycle right now? And he'll share a journey. And I'm like, yeah. Oh my God, I don't even know you. It's nine years. <laughs> I don't even know you. And I'm getting to know you. And I continue to get to know you. And when I am this open verbal processor and I'm married to someone who's an internal processor, one of the things that helps me is understanding all I have to do is ask the right question at the right time in the right way. Because mm -hmm. two, you're mission driven. You got a job to do. You're working on your stuff. You're not always taking a pause to be like, oh, I'm going to fill Adrian in on every little thing that I've done today and that I've thought, you know, especially yeah. when you're an internal processor and your thoughts are just going, 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 going. Yeah. So there was a catalyst 
for you to get to a point of sharing. There was a catalyst that kind of spawned your healing journey. And part of it was the podcast. Was your breakdown before or after that podcast? Yeah, that was before. So it was actually on the 18th of September, 2019. I'd been really struggling leading up to this. About five months earlier, I'd walked out of my family and yeah, it was just miserable. I was a blamer. I blamed everything on other people. So yeah, hundred percent. Yep. So there's a famous footballer, Australian rules footballer, Danny Frawley, his name was, and he was a big mental health advocate, had lots of struggles with depression and anxiety, and he took his own life. And then there was, so on his funeral, that was the 18th, 2019, the day of his funeral, I remember listening to it. I was sort of went for a walk and I'd been really struggling leading up to this. And then there's another former footballer, Wayne Swass, and they were really good friends. And he read this eulogy and he was just speaking to me. It felt like he was just talking to me and I was just completely lost, broke down, walking the streets, just bawling my eyes, crying, just couldn't go home, moved back to living my mum's. I was early thirties guy living back at his mum's. Like it was just not the ideal situation, you know? So yeah, I'm walking the streets crying and rang a couple of friends, rang my boss who was a really good friend at the time as well. And just spoke to him, got some time off work and just everything started to sort of started to make sense of things that I'd been doing wrong, not wrong. Things you were doing that weren't working. You weren't working. Yeah. That's the right word. So yeah, things were just sort of click in and make sense. And yeah, I started to realize the work that I had to do and the mistakes that I'd been making one in particular, leaving my family where luckily we're now back together. We're engaged and hopefully get married soon. If, you know, if things open up and we're allowed to do it, but yeah, so that was the day. I remember the day specifically. And that's when everything It's funny. I look at that as it was the worst, the lowest I could have been, but it was the best day of my life because I, it was once your I rock rang, bottom. yeah, it was my rock bottom. And once I rang and spoke to people and actually verbalized what was happening, it just felt like weight lifted off my shoulders. And then, yeah, I was able to start getting some help. And that really started my open sharing journey, I suppose. And my healing journey. Yeah. Which will never stop. You know, we're always, yeah. Growing. It's a practice, I love the saying, not we're a not mastery. growing, we're dying. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love the saying, if we're not growing, we're dying. Yeah. And congratulations to you and Amber for working through this and for getting engaged. And I do hope that you, you get to have that magical wedding experience one day. So where do you begin when you're on a path like that and you've had this deep emotional experience and you're open, you're raw, like the only way you can go is up. What's your first move? I mean, you said you started to ring people up and have these conversations. That sounds like the first step, but what's next? What's after talking about it a little bit? So one of the guys I rang, Jason, a good mate of mine, I know he'd been through all this lived experience of stuff that I was just starting out in. So I thought he was the first contact, rang him, had a really good chat. He gave me a number for a psychologist. So I booked into the psychologist. It was still three weeks away, I think, at that time, which felt like a lifetime. I just felt like I need to see someone tomorrow. I need to start. But booked in that. And then it was kind of like I had something to look forward to. I took a few days off work to really spend some good time with my son. And then I really got into the world of podcasts and audiobooks. I'd kind of only listened to true crime. Back then, that was just, I was just true crime obsessed. That's all I listened to. And I was always like, oh, I'd never listened to self-development. Like, what, what the hell is that, you know? 
And now that's all I listen to. <laughs> so there I started listening to Tony Robbins and he just made me see things so differently and almost, I kind of want to say it changed my life, but there was many other things, but getting onto Tony Robbins was, yeah, it really set the path that I wanted to go down, I suppose. That were the first steps, I suppose, and podcasts and that sort of stuff really helped. I started going and seeing a psychologist and when I went, I was obviously, as you know, the, the lowest I'd been and I was offered medication. That was one thing I didn't want to do personally. I didn't want to take medication. So I refused that and it was kind of, he was sort of trying to push it on me, I suppose, really highly recommending it, which kind of put me off a fair bit as well. But then I just, uh, yeah, I just kept listening to the self-help kind of stuff and that watching videos. I was listening to Tony Robbins constantly. Anytime I could get in the car, anytime at work, I'd put it on. People would come up, what the hell are you listening to? I was working in a warehouse back then. It's like, you know, the very blokey kind of guys. It's like, oh, you know, oh, that stuff's gay. It's like, do you even know what you're saying? You know, listen to yourself. And I ended up getting out of that work because it was just really dragging me down. But yeah, that were the first steps. Podcasts really helped me a lot. I think it's funny you bring that up because... I noticed a pattern in my healing journey too. I used to be quite true crime addicted as well. It would be yeah. my go-to for podcasts or for books or for TV shows. It was always like yeah. these extreme, horrible experiences. And when I began my healing journey, one of the things that I noticed was it became difficult for me to listen to those things. All mm. of a sudden it was like, I couldn't put that energy in my space. I didn't have the capacity to hear the horror. Even like one of my favorite podcasts was a true crime comedy podcast. And even that after a while became a little distasteful to me because it's like, these are horrible experiences. And yes, some of us do deal with trauma through humor. That is a deflection of dealing with trauma. And I understand that. And so the more I leaned into my healing journey, the less space I had in my life to be around that energy, any energy that was like, hey, let's throw this in front of you all the time. I mean, the world can be scary enough. And so it was important for me to start surrounding my time and myself and my energy with things that were like Tony Robbins. I actually, I don't know if I've ever read a single one of his books or heard a single one of his talks, but I'm told I talk like him a little bit. So maybe there's okay. some sort of ethereal connection, but I'm sure we're reading similar yeah. things and we're on similar yeah. paths. And so what I've done since then is focus more on the audiobooks or the podcasts for self-help. I love Huberman Labs. Huberman is such a good one. He just did this podcast on gratitude that really shifted my idea of what it meant to have a gratitude practice. And since I have been actively practicing Huberman's gratitude practice, I'm like, this is a game changer. Doesn't mean I don't still have hard days. Doesn't mean I still I don't still have struggles. And I notice that I become the energy I surround myself with. So if I'm surrounding myself with that horror, that crime, that extreme, not only am I spiking my adrenaline and activating my stressors, but I'm surrounding myself with that energy. Whereas if I'm instead surround myself with challenges and people talking about learning lessons, you know, the Brene Browns, the Glennon Doyles, the Hubermans, the Metabolic Mike, Luke Story, like these people who are... You guys, brothers and others, people that are talking about the healing journey and sharing their own experience. And I think what resonates is you can hear a lesson 
in a book, on a podcast, in a conversation. But we don't learn it until we're ready to learn it. We don't hear it until we're ready to hear it. So you were ready to hear what Tony Robbins had to say. And he was speaking in a language that resonated to you. So the other thing I tell people is like when you're starting with a therapist, whether it's a psychologist or psychiatrist or whatever that is, it's kind of like dating. You're going to listen to them. You're going to get to know them. You're going to decide, do they speak a language that resonates with me? Is this a relationship that is bringing me this energy? Do I feel challenged in a good way? Do I feel like they're not letting me get away with things? You know, it's like dating in the sense that you kind of have to interview a little bit and see, can we develop this intimate relationship? And that can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to find a therapist that you can work with and that you trust. And that also still challenges your growth. Because if you think of the business model of therapy, if they fixed every person in one session, they wouldn't have a job. Yeah. So I struggled too sometimes with long-term therapy. I've been in and out of therapy most of my life, mandated when I was younger and then by choice as an adult. And I've outgrown therapists and I have dealt with some loose boundaries with other therapists. And what I find is we can find therapy everywhere when we're ready for it. And it's not just books and podcasts and conversations. It can be as simple as, like you said, you were spending time with your son. You just wanted to sit and spend time with your son. If there's anything that can show us the innocence of life and the importance of life, it can be spending time with a child. And so what was next? What was next on your healing journey? Once you discovered therapy and you were starting to dive deep into things, sometimes that can feel like a regression. Sometimes that can feel like getting harder before it gets easier. Mm. I just want to say that what you were saying then, I believe wholeheartedly you become a product of your environment. And that's what I was becoming with the work I was doing. I was around the most toxic negative environment and it was not somewhere I wanted to be. And that was seeping out into my life, that mentality, I suppose, if you want to call it. Yeah. So that was something I really needed to get out of. And there was another thing you said that I wanted to speak about with the gratitude practice that is proven that I think the stat is, this has been scientifically proven. I believe you'll maybe fact check me, but I think seven times out of 10, the average person sees the negative instead of the positive. And when you start to do that gratitude practice, Whereas I do it where I'll just either I'll stop and say three things I'm grateful for, or I'll, you know, I'll do my journaling every morning and I'll either write there three things and that will reprogram your brain and you will start to see the positive in any situations. So I think surrounding yourself, as you say, surrounding yourself with the right people, that is key. So that was one thing I really started to do. There was friends that I had been lifelong friends, but they weren't good for me. They were still stuck in old habits and ways and weren't growing, weren't moving, were stuck. So that was something I really need to move on from. Sorry, what was your question again? (laughs) I went off Uh, Well, I was asking what was next, but I actually want to backtrack a little bit and talk about this. So I think this is one of the things that we begin to realize. So you're talking about your work environment and the work environment wasn't a healthy work environment. So I've been in a few work environments that were unhealthy work environments. One of them was the bar and restaurant industry. As a bartender, you are in an unhealthy environment. You are feeding people a drug. They're getting libated to a point sometimes of being out of control. It's a toxic industry in that you're working late nights, you're sleeping all day, your schedule is screwed. 
one day you might make $300. The next day you might make 20. It's volatile. There's a lot of sexual harassment. There's a lot of physical harassment. There's just a lot of challenges in that industry. And I'm not saying every bar is like that. I'm not saying every restaurant is like that. I'm saying it's an industry that is designed to libate people. It's an industry designed to create a drug that to serve this drug that helps you deflect from whatever it is that you're trying to escape from. Does this mean I don't enjoy beer and wine and some tequila? Absolutely not. I definitely do. The difference is, is when I was a bartender and I was in that toxic environment, I was also surrounding myself with people who were not in this health and wellness focused area. And I couldn't have been health and wellness focused when I was slinging drinks and working till two, three, four in the morning. It's just not possible. I was also in the spa industry. And I think we don't give our hairstylists and our estheticians and our massage therapists enough credit. They end up being put in a position kind of like a therapist without any of the training, without any of the tools, without the skills to deal with a lot of what people come, they say behind the chair, people are coming and sitting in your chair, you're behind the chair and they just start letting it rip. They tell you everything and you're trying to make money. So you don't want to tell them to stop talking. But at the same time, after you've had six, seven, eight clients a day coming in and talking about this, these horrible, crazy, dramatic things that are happening in their lives, you're exhausted because of the physical work, but you're also exhausted because of the emotions and no one's abusing you. You're not being abused. It's just that you're surrounded by these conversations that are challenging your emotional capacity all day long. And that's often what it's like in the restaurant too, especially as a bartender, people sidle up to the bar. They start talking to the bartender. All of a sudden they're sharing their deepest, most intimate experiences because you're a stranger. What do they have to worry about? And I see it elsewhere too. I see it in the warehouse workers. I see it in the construction workers. And it's, I don't know exactly what it is. It's not a lack of intelligence. It's not a lack of access to the Tony Robbins. It's just the environment. And we tend to take Mm. on the energy of our environment. So if I'm, if I'm behind the bar, I'm probably cussing like a sailor. I'm probably behaving like one of those blokes that you're talking about in the warehouse. And I don't always do that, but I can slip quickly into that being in that environment. Maybe if I spent a week with you, I'd start mimicking your accent. I don't know, but we do (laughs) pick up that energy. And I think one of the things is that we sometimes feel like, well, what else am I going to do? I went to school for this or I trained for this and this is my job. Like, what am I going to do? And that can be terrifying to think of uprooting your life, uprooting your career and starting over in something new. And one thing I have learned is as soon as you remove that, which does not serve you, whatever energy, whatever person, whatever thing in your life that is not serving you, you are then making room for the thing that will. And that can be terrifying. That can be the most terrifying part and how do you feel now Mm. i think that's a scary thing it's scary to change change is scary and i've always i was always that person that i needed to feel comfortable i didn't want to move house because it was starting new and what if i didn't like the neighbors and i don't know whatever reason i'd find any reason but one thing i've really learned now is that change helps you grow challenges you need challenges in life otherwise you just get so bored and or stagnant. Stagnant. Yeah, exactly right. And one thing that stood out to what you were just saying then is, especially in the restaurant industry, you would be working such horrible 
hours working in the middle of the night. All the holidays. Sleep patterns. Yeah. The sleep patterns. Sleep is so important. One thing I've learned through all of this is how important sleep is. And Um, it's important to sleep at night. Yes. So even if you're getting your solid eight hours, if it's during the day, you're messing up your circadian rhythm, which then changes every other function in your body. And you're only eating sporadically at best. You might be standing. It's probably not the healthiest food. You're shoveling it down so that you can get on to the next thing. Or it's super late at night because you worked a shift and so you're getting off late at night and so you're hungry. Or maybe you get off your shift and you're like, you can't wind down. So by the time it's dawn, you're going, well, I guess I better get to bed before I wake up and do it all over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's no good for a body. I've just learned something recently that's called, and I don't know it fully, but it fascinates me. Have you heard of the Hamilton scale? No. It was a scale that was, and I, again, fact check me, you might have to go back and check this one. But it fascinated me. So Johan Hari speaks about it in his book, Lost Connections. I don't know if you, have you listened or read that book? Unbelievable. I think I've listened to it for the fourth time this week. It is phenomenal. So it's all around depression, anxiety, and the medications that you are put on to help with that. So he speaks about this Hamilton scale and it's a scale, I think it was zero to 51. And the higher you score, the more depressed and anxious you are. And you can move... With improving your sleep cycles, you can move, it was either six points or 1.8. It was significant for the scale. Just by improving your sleep, just that one thing can improve your mental health. Like it's so important. Another book as well that I've got lined up, I listened to him on Joe Rogan's podcast, Matthew Walker. Mm. Have you heard of him? His book, Why We Sleep. But his podcast on Joe Rogan was incredible. Just open my, I used to work night jobs as well. I used to deliver fruit and vegetables and work through Mm -hmm. the night and then drive and sleep during the day. And it was horrible. And yeah, that podcast on sleep was just mind blowing. I never knew it was so important. Right. I was always like one of those guys. Yeah. I can survive on five or six hours sleep. It's all good. It's like, well, actually you're a bit of an idiot. That's bad for you. You're getting closer to your grave by doing that. And I don't know if you have this saying in Australia, but here in America, we say, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah, we do. So I'm going to keep working, keep playing, keep doing, keep going because I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, you're going to be dead real quick if you don't get good sleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to prolong your life. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep is a big one for me. And I noticed this just in our conversations. You also work on language, don't you? Yeah, no, I do. Yeah, 100%. So I did a bit of NLP training, mm-hmm. which is actually, I found out later, which is what Tony Robbins is mastering NLP. Yeah, so I did a little bit of work on that. I've done the initial training, which was called, wasn't Master Practitioner. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. But I did the first block of training and that was really eye-opening too with the language we use, which is super important. Yeah, so I really try to use positive language because like I say, it rewires your brain. And that's all what NLP is about is rewiring your brain. And basically it's mindset, becoming a master of your mind. Basically I haven't gone on with that training. I thought I would, but I've found other paths and avenues I'd prefer to go down, but that training was really good for me at the time. But yeah, language is very important. I do like to say you change your language, you change your life. 100%. Yeah. Because I can say this sucks. I'm tired of this. Or I can say, I am sick and tired of this. Well, if I keep saying that, I'm going to become sick and tired. Like we become the intentions we speak. And one of the things I teach in my workshops is 
when you're guiding someone through the cold, you want to avoid the negative. You wouldn't guide someone and say, don't do that. Do this instead. You would say, I want you to do this. You don't say, stop doing this because whatever we say we don't want, we're still inviting that in by just saying it out loud. And so I try, it's an ongoing practice. I try to speak in the active, in the positive, in the intentional. I don't always get it right. That's okay. It's a practice. I'm a human. So you change your environment. You started opening up and talking about the things that you've been holding on to your whole life. You changed your work environment. You changed your social environment. Did that feel lonely at first? Good question. I don't remember feeling lonely. I think it, it opened me up to people that, see, when I was going through my dark times, I was always like, no one understands. No one gets it. What's the point in talking about it? They're not going to understand. They're not going to feel what I'm feeling. Mm. Once I started opening up, I guess putting it out into the universe, it brought uh, the people that were like-minded and similar closer. I ended up going to a men's circle, I suppose you want to call it. It was called Barefoot Brothers. Not long after Amber and I had worked things out and got back together. And that was, yeah, like a men's circle sitting around and just six dudes sitting around talking like it was nothing I ever thought I would go to. That was the furthest thing from anything I ever wanted to do. I was the play footy, play Aussie rules and be with the mates and have a beer after the game and, you know, all those sorts of things, like the blokey stuff, but blokey stuff. So going to this Barefoot Brothers and sitting around talking about all our feelings and what's going on in our lives with our relationships and what's, and guys just sitting there who look like me, guys with tats and big alleys and whatever, you know, like just normal guys. We're all just normal. So sitting around doing that was amazing. And that's where I first discovered Wim Hof actually. I'd heard about him before, but then we did some breathing practice in that. And I was like, wow, that was intense. So that's when I sort of went down the path of Wim Hof as well. And that's when the cold started to come in my life a lot more. What was your um, first like Wim Hof breath session like? Did you yeah, like it? Really, really cool. I felt, because we were laying down on the ground with our eyes closed and I just felt this light and full body tingles. And it was like nothing I'd experienced before. And I was, it was like being on a high almost. But different and better. Yeah, way better. Yeah, I've been on the drug highs and there was no come down from this. <laughs> this was just oh, like, come up. do it again. There's a yeah. come up from breath work. Yeah. I yeah. struggle. I love it and I hate it. I hate doing it. Same, I, love, I love what it does for me. Yeah. And so I have a real love hate with breath work and with ice baths. I mean, I'm still, I'm wearing a sweater. It's 65 degrees, 65 Fahrenheit. You might call it cold, but it's not. I have a love hate relationship with some of these healing modalities that I know are good for me yeah. and they challenge me. In my whole life, I've not been the person who's like, yeah, I want to play sports. I want to run. I want to do hard physical things. That's not my jam. (laughs) I am not a fan of like sweating or pushing too hard and uh, a bit of a lily, I think. And when it comes to breath work, I feel like it's not only physically hard, it's mentally and emotionally hard. So even though I know I'm going to enjoy what I feel like on the other side, I every single time have gotten something good out of it. It is a challenge for me just to show up. And so what I do is I kind of psych myself out. Like all I have to do is get in the car. And all I have to do is drive to the place. All I have to do is get out of the car. All I have to do is lie down on the mat. All I have to do is take one breath. 
and then another, and then another, just listen to the guide and do what the guide says. And it's a Mm -hmm. surrender for me. It's an active surrender of me letting go of control, which I think is also part of my struggle with breath work is I have to let go of control. There is no control. It's just deep, intense breath that is going to pull things out of me, whether I like it to or not. And I don't get to choose. I also don't get to choose what it pulls out of me. And so I think that's where some of my fear comes from. I get the same type of fear from breath work as I do prior to psychedelics or any type of plant medicine, just that kind of bundle of nerves. Cause again, I don't know what I've been hiding from myself, but I know it's about to come up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's funny. I was thinking about this yesterday. So this was obviously meant to come up. I was thinking yesterday at the Wim Hof breath and I just felt like, because I've always struggled to do it a bit. It's just felt a bit intense for me, the Wim Hof style. And I'm a massive fan of Wim Hof. So I'm not knocking him at all, but it's just felt a bit too, yeah, intense the big deep breaths and doing it for so long. And then I think, yeah, I really prefer the lower, just the calmer breathing. And I find myself doing that at at work, just really trying to focus on my breath. There's actually another book for you. Have you read breath by James Nestor? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. The way we breathe changes our physical body, changes the shape of our mouth, changes the pathways in our brains, changes Mm everything yeah you if you guys have not read i think it's actually called breath breath by james nestor that is such a fantastic book and it's information heavy they did the experiment where they taped the mouth they did experiment where they taped their nose and they did it for weeks it was him and this other guy and the things they learned through that experiment blew my mind and Mm. so even now whether I'm in a high energy breath work, holotropic, like hyperactive type of breath work, or guess what? Breath work doesn't always have to be like that. I just yeah. took a breath work class in Mesa, Arizona at Reconnect Mind and Body with Jeremy Mudick. And he's done a lot of programs. He's certified in a lot of different things, including different modalities of breath work. And what he did was he took his knowledge as a personal trainer, and a competitive fitness bodybuilder and all the knowledge he picked up in all of these certifications for breath work. And then he developed his own practice. So I show up for this class. I'm ready to go deep. I'm ready to sweat my way through breath work and struggle the whole way. And it was this beautiful, almost like listening to a melody started off slow and intentional Mm. and all this like even experience and then at the end it kind of built up to a crescendo and then it came back down and so it wasn't a full hour of that hyperventilative breath work that was only a small portion of it but by then I was so in tune to my body I was so relaxed in the experience and so trusting of him as the facilitator that when he did get us to speed it up a little bit I was like I'm ready I'm ready to yeah. go there. And I told him, I said, I'll be back for more. I didn't know it could be like that. I did not yeah. know. I know about box breathing. I know about 478. And even yeah. though that is breath work, I wasn't thinking of that as like a breath work session. And so this was such a different experience. And it really changed the way 
that I view breath work. Like, okay, just like there is the Wim Hof method and there is the Morosco method, there's a breath work method for everyone. And mm. just like there's a different workout style, you can do yoga or you can do Pilates or you can do swimmer size or you can do whatever it is. There is something out there for you. And if the first thing you try doesn't work, try something else. That's my biggest thing. Like if what you're trying isn't working fine, but like, don't stop looking for the right therapist. Don't stop looking for the right way to move your body. Don't stop looking for, I'm doing the negative. I'm saying, don't stop doing these things. So I'm saying, try a new breathwork class, try a new yoga class, try a new group experience, try a new therapist, because the first one's not always the right one for you. Yeah, absolutely. Then you were introduced not only to a men's circle, which is so fantastic. I love seeing when men get together and have these conversations amongst each other, because this, I think, is where societally it's just not as accepted. So I like seeing this more widely promoted. So you discover men's circle and breath work. Then what? I feel like by then you're ready to take on the world. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty pumped. I'm good to go. But there's still a lot of work to do. (laughs) So then from there, you know, I actually hit a bit. I felt like I was just going up and up and up and up and up and up. And then it kind of just stopped. Like a plateau or like a full Yeah. I didn't feel like I was going down, but I just felt like I wasn't going up. I was just kind of steady and it was really getting to me. I was just like, you know, I would say to Amber, I just feel like I'm in this just stagnant. I'm not going up. I want to progress, but nothing's happening that was probably a few months and kind of was in a bit of a hole, you know, that was kind of actually, it was around the time of COVID was just coming in and we were getting locked down and we just bought a new business and it just felt like we were, yeah, we were struggling. Like we were, everything was getting thrown at us. All these tests were getting thrown at us, but then I discovered David Goggins and I had originally the furthest I'd ever run was six K six kilometers. And I'd never been a big runner, but, I don't know if you've ever seen the photo. If you go through my Instagram feed, you can see the photo of me. I lost 20 kilos. So I was over, I'm not sure what weight scale you work on, but I was hundred kilos, around hundred kilos. And I got down to about 78. So I lost about 22 kilos. And at that time I was sort of running 6K every day. So this was probably seven years ago, maybe. I discovered David Goggins and I started running a lot again. I was like, wow, this mindset, it's all about mindset. Just do it, just get up and do it. So I'd started running more around those lockdown times and I'd moved it up to 10 K and then I moved it up to 15 K and I was like, well, and then I kind of, you know, I felt like, all right, I'm moving up again. And then I just, yeah, I think I just started discovering more books and podcasts and the more educational stuff I'd listened to, the more I felt like, yeah, all right, I'm on the right path, the right trajectory, things are happening. Yeah. The more goal setting I was doing, the more journaling I was doing, Journaling was also something I'd just be like, I'm never doing that. Even seeing a counselor or a psychologist, I was like, I don't need that. I'm not fucked enough. Like, well, yeah, you probably are. So as a thing you say as well about finding the right counselor, psychologist, they're not always going to be the right one. I've been through several as well. I've been to three or four sessions and you've you've really got to try it out. My mate, shout out to Shane again. He has this great saying that if you go to a pizza shop and it's no good, you're not going to give up on pizza, are you? You're going to yeah. find another pizza shop. You're going to find another pizza shop. pizza shop. Oh, I love that. You're not just going to give up on pizza because pizza's fucking amazing. 
you're going to find another pizza shop. It's just like anything. If it doesn't work, you're going to find something else. You have to find something else. That is the best description of finding a therapist I have ever heard. Hands down. Well done, Shane. I shout you out as well. (laughs) I love it. And then two, what I love about this journey, about what the way that you're explaining this journey and you're increasing your runtime, you're increasing what you're increasing is your capacity. Hmm. I tend to think I'm at capacity. I've reached my capacity and I have no more capacity for this. And I've stopped saying that. I've stopped saying I don't have the capacity. What I'm discovering now that I've stopped saying that is the minute I need more, I develop more. Mm. As soon as I need more to get more done or to accomplish more, to achieve more or to grow more, I realize I feel like the Grinch at Christmas. My heart gets to grow multiple sizes. Every time I think I've reached my capacity, I find that that has only gotten me to the next step so I can get to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. It happens incrementally. You didn't just go from a 5K to a 12K. You went five and then six and then seven. And then you just keep going. It's like a stepping stone or a ladder. Like you can only go as far as one foot at a time. You can only go as far as one step at a time. And then we get to grower capacity. And I feel like part of this is that like that gratitude practice, the way Huberman describes the gratitude practice, we are changing our mental, our response from being defensive to empathetic. And that is a big thing for me. And what I'm realizing while doing this gratitude practice, which is different than any other way I've heard of a gratitude practice, the more I'm leaning into this the more capacity I have for when someone around me has an emotional moment or someone around me is challenged and I can take a pause and I can just think of love and think of heart and see them where they are. I see you. I see you're in this pain. I see you're struggling. I see it looks like you reached your current capacity and you have a choice. You may lean in and grow or you may decide to run away, freeze, flight, fawn, or what are they? Freeze, flight, fawn. There's a fourth one, fight, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So, you know, you have a choice. Are you going to lean in and get this to grow? Are you going to get your heart to grow? Are you going to get your empathy to grow? Or are you going to lean into that trauma fear-based response? Mm. So you're now you're running, which man, I feel like, so all my, I told you, I don't like to sweat. I don't like to exert myself physically too much. And there's something inside me that says there's a runner that's undiscovered. There's an undiscovered runner inside me. And I keep having these conversations like with you right now where I'm like, I could do that. And I think part of the reason I've not read David Goggins or I haven't listened to any of David Goggins is because I feel like the minute I do, I'll just break out into a run. That's, I think I have a fear of leaning into David Goggins because I'm afraid that he's going to get me to run. You oh, listen to the game. Like that's next. Yeah, you listen to Goggins and you just want to run a marathon. He's a coach without being a coach, almost. Yeah. Coach. I try not to say coach anymore after what you said to me because it sounds like a competition. I love that. I love that saying. Yeah. But yeah, listen to Goggins. He, his audio book too is probably the best audio book I've ever listened to. It's like a podcast, an interview. It's all in one. He tells stories he's never told in the public before. It's this real and intimate. I've, I've never listened. Some? No, he has another guy narrate it, but he's sitting there too. And then so there'll be bits in the book 
and then this mind-blowing story and they're like all right goggins tell us about that what the hell is going on there and he'll just tell his story and what he was going through then and his mindset at the time it is a must he takes it so good yeah yeah he talks about his first run too and i think he made it 100 meters down the street he was this really really heavy guy in the navy yeah incredibly overweight like he was like a power lifter but yeah, he talks about his first run and he was eating donuts and milkshakes every day and the worst horrible diet. And yeah, I think you should listen to it. And All right. Now I have to, <laughs> now I have to, I'm telling you, I, there's nothing stopping me. There is nothing stopping me yeah. but me. And I'm feeling this physical call lately and this might be what's next. So you don't have what? to run marathons, you know, you can just, you just start. Just, little, the like block. just go to the yeah. side. Yeah. Anything's better than nothing. Yeah, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. So tell me how this led to ice baths. How on earth did you get from all? I mean, Wim Hof, that's a good correlation. Yeah. But you didn't do one that day. You didn't do one the very first day, did Wim Hof? No, I didn't. I think, and we spoke about this on my podcast, and I've thought about this again since, but I still feel like I'd done ice baths before. But the one I can actually remember was when I did a Wim Hof online retreat. That's the, I'm sure I've done it before, but yeah, that's the first one I can really remember. Wait a minute, Steve, how do you do an ice bath online? You plug your computer in and you hop in the, no, you don't. don't (laughs) All together. (laughs) So yeah, it was this through COVID online retreat and it was from his center and it was Wim Hof and he had all these yoga experts and his big team together and yeah, so we'd go through breathing exercises and then sort of toward the end we'd do each there was a two-day thing and you'd have your own ice bath set up or people were doing cold showers yeah so we just had the luckily they couldn't see you yeah. couldn't see me getting in the bath yeah. i did have underwear on so it's all right yeah so you just he counts you down wim does it goes out into the freezing with snow and ice everywhere and he hops into his little ice bath he's got Which dug out of ice yeah yeah it was really good so that's the first one i can really remember but I had been doing cold showers for a long time before that. Every morning, cold showers, straight cold. But yeah, that's the first ice bath I can remember. And then ever since then, I was like, yeah, it was. Do you remember how long it was? I think about three and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah, about three and a half minutes. I felt like I was getting at my capacity there. About the three minute mark, I feel like, all right, I'm good to get out. But there's one thing that always plays my mind. It's funny, we're talking about Goggins now. He has the 40% rule. That when you think you're done, you're really only, I think he says it, that you're really only 60% done. You got another 40% you can give. Yeah. And that's where I'd even running, I'd be like, all right, I'm done. I've done enough. I want to give up. But then you push through and you're like, fuck, I really can. The mind, it's all a mind game. Your mind's going, stop. Your body's had enough. Stop. What are you doing? Stop pushing yourself. I'm not, I want to do this. That was the same as with ice bars. I started to not push myself to silly extents, but so I put on a couple of, and I think I sent you an Instagram message about we used your meditation for a nice bath and I did the four minutes and then I just felt like I'd hit four minutes and I was like, I'm good. I can stay. I'm all right. And then I, yeah, I sort of got to around eight and a half, nine minutes. And I'm like, all right, don't be silly. The hardest part actually was I got out and then my brother actually did one, did his first one, which is what I sent photos of. And then I'd heard, I can't remember the book it was in now. It could have been Scott Carney's book where they've said the hardest part is then getting in the ice again after that, that can really shock the body. So I did that and that was intense. That was definitely harder. 
but anyway, that's the first ice bars I think I can remember. Yeah. I want to touch on that a little bit. The double dipping. Yeah. There are a couple of things that I just want to put some kind of alerts out there to let people know with double dipping. Number one, if you're doing it in nature, make sure you're not swimming to a point where you can't stand. It's important to be at Mm. a point where you can stand if you need to stand. If you're double dipping, especially if you're in nature, is it cold outside? Do you have the proper ways to warm yourself up? Because you might take that first ice bath and feel absolutely incredible. And often Mm. people want to get back in because they think, well, if I feel this good now, how good would I feel if I did it again or if I did it more or if I went right back in? And I think this is a case of minimum effective dose. If you love the way you feel, if you're feeling really great, walk away with that feeling. There's always tomorrow. There's always another day. And if you do choose to try the double dip, make sure there's someone else there. Make sure you can still put your feet on the bottom and stand up if you have to. And make sure you have adequate ways to warm yourself up when you get out. Because after drop is real. And if our body cannot warm itself up and it goes into that freeze mode and your heart starts to slow and your breathing starts to slow, it can even be difficult for you to communicate to someone that you're struggling. They might look at you and say, oh, wow, you look really relaxed. And you're inside your mind, unable to communicate that you're really not relaxed. You're panicking and there's nothing you can do about it. So if you're going to do the double dip, have a partner, Make sure you're in shallow water and make sure you have an adequate way to warm yourself up afterward. Yeah. You really do need to respect the cold. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. You have to respect the cold. And how do ice baths make you feel? Like, are you ever intimidated by them? Not intimidated. I don't think intimidated. I think I have the same feeling that you might get sometimes is I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to feel that. But as soon as I get in, I, I love it. I really love it. Even cold showers, I stand there and I'll just have straight cold showers. I'm like, I love this, which is so weird. I do weird. not love a cold shower. And I did fight my ice bath this morning and yeah. I did it anyway. And once I was in up to the neck, I was like, all right, I'm here. This is yeah. good. And then once that dopamine and norepinephrine kicked in, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it. This is why I'm yeah. here. And then I met my two minutes and I was like, I don't need to get out. I'll go yeah. for my sweet spot. And so I think I was in there yeah. for a little over three. Yeah. And the mind is a powerful thing. Yeah, that's the thing. The mind, you're improving your mental strength too by pushing through and doing it. I feel amazing getting out of the ice. It's just, yeah, yeah, like sometimes I'm just like, I just want to stay in longer, but I think don't push it. Don't push yeah. your body too much. It's funny. The last couple of ice bars I had, there's stuff coming up that I haven't worked out exactly what it is, but down my right side of my body, and it's probably a circulation issue, but there's a reason why I need to find that out. But my little toe on my right foot goes completely numb. And in my pinky too, on my right finger, it goes completely numb, white, like no circulation whatsoever. So I don't know what's going on. I have had shoulder issues on my right side. So whether it's something going on there, but then there could be some past experience, some trauma that's coming through in that. So what exactly that is, I'm trying to work out. But yeah, so that's coming up. How long does that last? The numbness can last. Sometimes I'll literally need to sit it under a warm tap for five to 10 minutes, like after about 
uh, let's say 10, 15 minutes, I'll think it'll start to maybe play on my mind. I'll think, okay, I don't want to lose a limb here, <laughs> you know? Or, so I'll put it under warm water, hot water. But I guess it could, if it's lasting 10, 15 minutes and then it's taking another five, 10 minutes to warm up, I don't know how long it could last. Like it, it would probably go on for a while. That actually sounds quite average to me. That's pretty common, I think. Are your digits getting very white? Yeah, just the pinky and the little toe on my right foot will so, go very white. Yeah, and, that um, happens to me every once in a while too. Okay. And I notice a correlation, like how much am I working with my hands? How much energy am I putting into my hands, into my feet? Have I spent a lot more time walking than usual? Am I breaking mm-hmm. in a new pair of shoes? And I love yeah, Louise okay. Hay. Have you ever heard of Louise Hay? No. So Louise Hay... She denounced her work later in life. So I'm just going to say that. And I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with her mission earlier in life was to say that the physical symptoms in our body present from mental and emotional things that we're working through. So when our body has a physical symptom, that's our body's way of telling us something about what we're working through. So when you talk about your little finger, that represents the family and pretending. Right. And then she gives you a mantra. I am myself with the family of life. Wow. Okay. Maybe journal on that and lean into that one a little bit. See how you feel. And then toes. This is interesting. Toes has come up with a few conversations I've had with people recently. This one struck when you said toes. They represent the minor details of the future. And the mantra is all details take care of themselves. Hmm. So it's a matter of leaning in and trusting the universe and trusting the path that you're on to know that we can spin ourselves into a fury of saying, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do about that thing? I don't know what to do about this. And you're in a location right now that is still going through a lot of challenges. It's so weird Mm. for me in Arizona because I feel like we're just, we're in this beautiful bubble of health and life and understanding and I love Arizona. I love the wild, wild west. And you are still in a place that can be a little bit precarious about wondering where are things going next? Yeah. And if you're right within you, if you are in alignment, next is going to take care of itself. One of the things I like to tell myself is when I start to freak out and I get overwhelmed, what am I doing right now? And is what I'm doing right now feeding my vision for the future? So right now I'm on a podcast with Steve White out of Australia and we're talking about super rad things and growth and health and healing. Absolutely, this feeds my vision for the future. My ultimate vision, my ultimate mission in life is to share the healing benefits of the cold with the masses and to shout these things from the rooftops and connect people in community along the way. I like to think of myself as the cold community connector because this is where it's at. And so right now what I'm doing is feeding my greater vision for my future. So I know that if I'm doing that check-in throughout the day or throughout the week, and that answer is yes, it's feeding my vision for the future. The future will take care of itself. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I don't experience fear. It doesn't mean that there aren't things going on in the background that I'm like, I don't have the answers yet. I don't even know where to begin to find these answers right now. I'm going to trust that these answers will be revealed to me when I'm ready and when the time is right. Yeah. Yeah. I could not agree with that more. I think that's what we really started to do. We had this 
so much uncertainty around our business. Every time we'd get locked down, we couldn't work. So there was just so much uncertainty. So we'd bought the business and we were doing really well. And then we got locked down three months into buying a brand new business and then no certainty of income, couldn't get any support because it was a new business. So there was all that stress. And that was when I really started to stagnate. I think we were just, there was so much uncertainty. And then, yeah, every lockdown would happen. I think around that time we were, Amber and I were both sort of working out the paths we wanted to go down. And then, yeah, it started creating certainty. We were like, yes, this is right. We're down the right path. This is what's happening. Yeah, I think once you put that out there, like we were saying before, it brings those people towards you as well. The tests and the energies of other people, the positive. And that's one thing that came up just before, I forget what you were saying, but self, the way you talk to yourself is so important as well. And if you're speaking to yourself negatively, well, that's going to feed out into your life, isn't it? That energy is going to flow out and you're going to attract those sorts of people. Like that's what's going to happen. What you one thing that I'm thinking yourself of, is true. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I was journaling the other day. I don't know why I just thought of this. I was journaling the other day. So when I was a kid, there's something that always came up for me and it was in, I think it was in grade one. And one of my teachers called me a fucking idiot. I was cutting some, like we were cutting out, I think like a swirly kind of like a snake. What's the word? A snake. Coil. Yeah. And I cut the wrong line. And then I remember the teacher coming over. Oh, Steven, you're a fucking idiot. I was like, oh, and that it only, I've always hated craft. And I was just journaling the other day and that came out. I'm like, no wonder I hate it. Why would I love it when there's something I'm doing as a kid? Like, you know, I'm just with my mates, just crafting. And then I get called a fucking idiot because I cut the wrong line. It's like, why would I? And I've never liked, I feel like that was the turning point. Like I was like, I'm not, I hate it. I'm not doing this. I don't want to do that. And my daughter loves craft. She's the crafter. And I've just, I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it with her. And I think, yeah, it just kind of connected. I don't know why that came up just then, but that it just kind of connected. Because too, that language is so powerful. It can have such an Mm. impact. And think of crafting. Crafting is supposed to be that area where there is no wrong. Yeah, artistic and you're experimenting and there's no right, wrong. wrong. You did it the way that you did it. And because you were a small child and an adult, like an an authority figure told you you were an idiot, all of a sudden you're like, well, can't do that right. No more crafting for me. Yeah. In an area that there is no right or wrong. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And that's been with me. Like, what would I have been then? Let's say I was eight Mm -hmm. and I'm 36, 37, I don't know, 36 or 37 now. And I've only just connected that because it's not always at the surface either. We don't get to choose what we learn and when we learn it, our Mm. brains will release it as it feels we're prepared for it. And I think that's one of the things the cold does for us is it creates this environment in the brain through the chemicals that are released that says you're strong enough for this. I'm going to let you in on a Mm. little secret that you've been keeping from yourself. And one of the ways that I changed and I'm practicing, it's a practice, changing my language, the way I speak to myself is I ask, would I speak this way to four-year-old me? Would I speak this way to my best friend? Would I speak this way to someone I love? I need to speak to myself in the ways that I speak to my clients, to my friends, to the little people around me. That is going to be the direct reflection of how I speak to myself. Mm. 
And if I can speak to myself in that way, that is how I will speak and react to the people around me. It's twofold. And if I can't talk to myself that way, anything I'm saying to anyone else is not authentic. So I have to put myself in that place of, is this how you would talk to little Adrian? And for a long time, and I just realized this one, I put a little Adrian inside of a box when I was two, maybe three years old. It wasn't safe. She went into a box and then somehow through my fight or flight survival mode life, I never let her back out. Mm. So here I am at 40 years old talking to my inner child and she's screaming for fun. And I'm going, oh yeah. And all this survival mode stuff, I didn't take you back out of that box. Mm. And now I've created this life that is safe. I've created this life that is supportive of you, of your craft, of your creativity, of your individuality, of your loud singing at the dinner table self. And there's room for that. I've made room for that. So now I'm 40 and learning how to have fun. Yeah. It's so important. What do you like to do? What do you do for fun? I don't know. What is fun? Yeah. 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 That's something. Yeah. We really try to do with the kids. I suppose you can, it's easy to bring that out a bit more. You know, we've just got just dance the game and we've just been, and I am not a good dancer. And we'll tell you, I don't enjoy dancing, but you know what? The kids are up doing it and we're all doing it and we're all laughing and having fun. And there's no, there's no right or wrong. And you're moving your body. So you're moving those endorphins and you're laughing with the kids and even better if you can find a way to make fun of yourself and then laugh at that because so what you use the wrong move and just dance. That's not dancing. That's just some fancy footwork. Yeah, that's just flicking the wrist to yeah. you know the little controller you're holding. Yeah, yeah. But no, we've yeah. I think with kids, I guess it feels for me, it feels a bit easier to bring that child out because that's yeah. I love to have a joke and a laugh and muck around and hide behind a door and scare someone and all those playful kind of things. I love that and videoing it too. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta save it. You gotta save it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have to have that fun, playful side in your life. It's important. And then, you know, you got to know when to switch it off. You got to know the timing, what setting to be in. So that's important too. But yeah, you need that inner child to come out. Yeah. And you nailed it. Set and setting, set and setting for hard conversation, set and setting Mm. for your inner work and your self healing, set and setting for when it's time to kick up your heels. And like you said, muck it up a little bit. Set and yep. set it for when it's time to sit down at the dinner table and maybe not sing out loud, but let everybody chew and enjoy their meal in peace, you know? So <laughs> set and setting, I think, goes beyond medicine journey. Set and setting can have an impact on a difficult conversation, even with an employer or a loved one. It can have an impact on helping your kids understand too, this is where we play and run amok. This is where we button up a little bit and we behave ourselves and we put on our best church face or whatever that is. I think in my life, I know in my life, I have been averse to children for a lot of reasons. You know, they're loud, they're messy, they're kind of out of control, you're responsible for them, and they're unpredictable. They're wildly unpredictable. And that always kind of freaked me out a little bit, like that lack of control over what this tiny human is doing. And only recently have I been able to be in a space with small children where they are maybe crying upset or laughing loudly or doing whatever it is that kids do. And I'm not just uncomfortable by their presence. 
And yeah. so what's funny is I have this one little person who's the daughter of one of our employees. And now I've known her for a couple of years now. And in the first year, she really had nothing to do with me. And she's only like maybe three. And now she sees me and she's like, good job, Adrian. And like all these different things. And all I can think of is she hasn't changed. I've changed. Yeah. This yeah. kid didn't talk to me because of the energy I was holding before. She's pretty, she's like one of those intuitive little kids. She's the youngest of three girls. And now I'm around her and she talks to me and I'm going, that's a testament to my growth. This mm-hmm. little kid yeah. feeling comfortable around me because yeah. I'm finally feeling comfortable around her. Yeah. They're tiny little mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another saying as well, if you ever want to bring up your shit, and work out what triggers you have kids because they will bring up everything you need to work on. And that certainly happened for me with my daughter. She really changed that. And my partner always tells me she softened you so much. Like I just, yeah, I feel like I really started completely change when I had my daughter, which is, which actually also I love that. And I love hearing that, but it makes me feel a bit sad as well because boys deserve that too. Yeah. And my son didn't necessarily get that with me. So he's a bit more closed off and like I was when I was younger. And that is something I really try and work on with him. But yeah, my daughter really changed me like the way I would communicate and how loving I was toward a child, I suppose. But yeah, like I say, little boys deserve that too. It's not like, oh, get up, get on with it, mate. You're right. You're right. Get up, rub your knees off. You'll be right. But with girls, we tend to, oh, sweetheart, are you okay? Like, everyone boys yeah my, i suppose my point is boys deserve that too and what's you know? beautiful about what you just shared too is even though it didn't come until you had your daughter your son is now also getting those benefits of this yeah. experience for you so when we discover it the best time better than yesterday is now yeah exactly yeah Good he's a bit you. more closed off to it but you know <laughs> i'm working on that he's definitely feeling a lot safer to express himself but it's very it's slowly does he ever do ice baths with you? He has. That's so, so rad. I, I did one. I made the mistake of saying every, what did I say? I said, every second you do, I'll give you a dollar. Cause I thought he'll probably only last three or four seconds. He'll get in and it'll be freezing. And, and he was pushing a minute. And I was like, and that's probably not the right thing too, because I thinking back now, it's like, it's not a competition. You shouldn't. Yeah. But he was just sitting there just chilling. He's like, Oh, it's cold, but. It's not that bad. And we got to about 45 seconds and I said, all right, maybe just hop out. <laughs> I feel like I'm going broke here. I'm going to need yeah, to yeah, yeah. So I ended up, I capped it at $20. I said, look, I didn't think you'd go that long. I'll give you $20. <laughs> has he done it since? Yes, he has. Yeah. I did one. It was probably a few weeks ago. I did one and then he's got some friends across the street and they all came over and they were in and out. They were all kind of in, out, in, out, in, out. Um, I love it. But he is a big... <laughs> We'll go to the beach on a cold, a winter's day here. And he's just in, he just loves the water. So it's kind of built into him, I suppose. He, he really loves the water. don't know to be afraid unless they've been taught. They don't know to be afraid. All they know is fun. Well, this is yeah. fun. Well, yeah, it's cold, but this is what cold feels like. It's fun. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I was explaining that to my daughter yesterday. She was, I can't remember exactly what she said, but yeah, I was explaining that, that we're taught that the cold isn't good for us. You know, don't get too cold. Go, you'll catch a cold if you go out in the cold. And she is literally, she is no shoes and skirts all year round, whether it's freezing outside or what, she doesn't care. She loves it. And I'm just like, keep doing that. Keep being yeah. yourself because 
I don't want to teach you to be scared of the cold because it's not a scary thing. You know, you think back to the tribes back in the day, they wore leaves as undies. They didn't have stuff to warm them up. You know, they'd make a fire or whatever, but they lived and survived in those environments. We are going to be fine. You'll survive. You're not going to die. It's not going to kill you. Our bodies were designed for this. And I yeah, love exactly. the barefooting too. I had Sue Reagan Kennedy on my podcast on Instagram. She goes by at Camino Sue, and she's been a barefooter for 12 years north of Toronto. Yeah. So dead yeah. of winter, feet of snow on the ground, and she's just hiking barefoot. Yeah, cool. No big deal. And we discovered through this conversation, she was telling me that even if she's about to step on something sharp, somehow her foot knows to kind of adjust. And I was like, mm. wow, it's like walking in braille. And she's like, yeah, I never thought of it that way. And that's yeah. exactly what it is. It's like what, like our bodies are designed to do these things. So when we utilize the things our bodies are designed to do, and we push our bodies to those points, our bodies will come up. They will stand at attention. They will catch up. That's why I yeah. know I'm going to end up being a runner. I know it. Yeah, I just you know will. it. I know I'm going to have yeah. to go outside and run right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait till you listen to Goggins. You'll be marathon. All right. Marathon. Where yeah. am I signing up? Where's the next marathon? <laughs> all right. Well, I'm all right. I think I'm, I think I'm ready. I think this is enough proof for me. Steve, I want you to tell us how we can find you. How can we find you on the internet? How can we find your podcast? Where can we find you? So as you said before, our podcast is called Brothers and Others Podcast, N instead of an and. So we're on Instagram and Facebook, Brothers and Others Podcast. I am Steve A. White 85 on Instagram if you want to look me up. Steve White might be a bit harder to find on Facebook, but I do have a private profile, but send away any requests. And also I've just started a new little project called Center for Men. So you can find me on Instagram there as well. That's all about men's health and the world needs better men. So that's a big passion of mine. So you can find me there as well. Center for men. There's links. Even if you just went to Instagram, Steve, a white 85, there's links to both podcasts mm -hmm. and center for men. So yeah, you can find me there. Is there anything else that you want to share before I sign us off? Speak kindly to yourself. That's what's coming out for me. Yeah. I think that's so important. Like we said earlier, the language we use is really, really important. And it's the language that other people hear as well, the way we speak. I think that's the big key, I think, for me. Yeah, just, just speak kindly to everyone and to yourself. This was a, another beautiful conversation with you, Steve. I have a feeling we're going to end up doing it again just because we want to. And yeah, I thank to. you for taking the time and being patient and coordinating. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. I think we nailed it this time. We thanks did. Yeah, we got it help. right. So big thanks to Anna. And she said to tell you it was a pleasure working with you and coordinating all of this. So I'm going to pass that on. You Thank guys you. can find me at, at Adrian underscore Jezik on Instagram. You can find us at at Forge on Instagram. You can go to www.MarontzkoForge.com or you can email at info at MarontzkoForge.com. I want to thank you guys for joining in and tuning in today. Feel free to shoot out messages. When you hear these podcasts, you've got questions or you want to dive deeper into something, let us know. Reach out to me. Reach out to Steve. We're here to talk about the hard stuff. We're here to share these platforms for the greater good so that if you don't have access to Tony Robbins, you can get us and we'll help yeah. filter that down. So thank you all for joining us, Steve. Thank you for joining. And it was a pleasure. Stay cool, cold friends. Thank you for joining us today and holding space for the challenges of becoming well. 
Healing is a practice and it requires patience. You can find more information on the benefits of deliberate cold exposure on our website, morotskoforge.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Adrian underscore Jezik and at Morotsko underscore Forge. And remember, this is what cold feels like. Mm-hmm.